Welcome to this business of music and poetry podcast, where the life of a creative meets the real world. I'm Michael Amade, host World Poetry Open Mic, The Michael Amade Show, author of more books than I should mention, musician, poet, and above all, creative entrepreneur. My collaborator and conspirator in this project is Clifford Brooks, founder of the Southern Collective Experience, host of Dante's Old South on NPR, poet and author of The Draw, Broken Eyes, and Whirling Metaphysics, Exiles of Eden, and Athena Departs, The Gospel of a Man Apart. Our guest today is musician Angel Snow. Angel Snow is a musician and songwriter living in Nashville, Tennessee. Her albums are 2017's Magnetic, followed by the EP's Arrows, and its acoustic counterpart called Stripped. This interview is apt for any artists who are currently experiencing the COVID blues. Often it helps us to hear about how others like us see our current situation and how they're approaching it. You'll find that, as well as some powerful points about creating your own way as a female artist, being interesting versus cookie cutter, and why you often don't need a manager or a record label. So without any further ado, here's Cliff in my interview with Angel Snow. We want to thank y'all so much for tuning in for this episode of This Business of Music and Poetry, because today we have Miss Angel Snow, a Nashville local who has a very diverse sound in music, and we are delighted to have her here today. How are you, Miss Snow? I'm doing really well. Thank it is, you. It's an absolute, it's a pleasure to have you on with us tonight. I just cannot thank you enough right up front. So to start, I want to know, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what makes you happy, and where you're going. Well, I come from a, a small town in North Georgia called Chickamauga, and um, I was really excited to get out of that town after I graduated high school, so that was um, something I really looked forward to. I finally got out, and I made my way around the United States and finally ended up in Nashville to pursue music. Um, I didn't know that music was going to be the direction I was going to go in, um, but I majored in psychology and then just felt like uh, I would be betraying myself if I didn't follow through with the, the music um, path. So yeah, so ended up in Nashville. So here I am, long story short. Um, and I've been pursuing music for almost 12 years in Nashville. I've had some ups and downs, but for the most part, I know it's, it's, uh, it's definitely where I'm supposed to be. So, Well, I want to kind of move, maybe this is a couple of questions forward, but this is what really interests me is that you have several albums out now. And typically I say this to the end, but it, it, it impresses me so much that I want to get it out in front. Could you tell us about the albums that you have out now and how they differ from one another? Yeah, uh, yes, I can do that. Um, <laughs> so my first record, um, I released in 2006, uh, 2007 actually, Fortune Tellers. Um, I, uh, yeah, those songs came from, so you wanna know, the, okay, the, how they differ from one another. Uh, my first record essentially was about um, I transition um, uh, in, like recognition of who, who I am as an individual, um, my spirituality going from atheism to becoming uh, someone that has a, 
fixed belief system. Mm -hmm. That's sort of uh, what Fortune Tellers was about. And then when I released Angel Snow, which was in 2012, that record uh, was, I guess, driven by um, my aunt, my mom's twin, my aunt passed away, um, who I was really close to. So she um, was an inspiration for that record, which was produced by Victor Krauss. Um, and it sort of moved into more of an alternative direction as opposed to more of the acoustic uh, ambient stuff that, for that fortune tellers uh, represented. And then um, I met uh, Alison Krauss through that record and um, and she ended up covering some songs. So I realized that I, um, that I had for knack, a knack for writing um, for bigger artists in Nashville. So that's sort of what uh, kept me in Nashville was the writing aspect. Um, so it sort of moved into a, a more of an alternative direction. And then the record after that, Magnetic was definitely more into this uh, like Radiohead-ish um, electronic, uh, more experimental um, sound that I'd always wanted to uh, experiment with. Um, so, and then, and then my most recent EP, Arrows, was sort of going back into that acoustic-driven um, direction. So they're all different. They all have different. <laughs> With it, the, the transition between your albums shows a, yeah. a, a tremendous growth in, in vision and the ability to capture sound and also ideas. When you majored in psychology, how, how much of that, that knowledge kind of tra transitions into your music style? Mm. Well, you know, I, I have a tendency to, uh, when I meet people, I, I listen to their stories and I'm intrigued with, um, with different aspects of their personality. So I do the best that I can to put myself in their shoes and where they're coming from. And I'm, I'm, I'm able to do that, I think. Um, and I can relate to them. Um, I also worked with people with mental disabilities for a few years while being here in Nashville. Um, and so a few of my songs were driven by uh, a woman that I worked with who was schizophrenic. Um, there's a song I wrote called In My Head that's about schizophrenia, people that suffer with that. Um, there's a song called I Need You that's on Magnetic that's about uh, people that have suffered with addiction or codependency, things in that, of that nature. Um, so, you know, a lot of my songs, um, uh, yeah, are motivated by um the psychological aspect and where where you know the human condition um comes in and how crucial that is that we um are able to step into someone else's shoes and relate to them on multiple levels well how did this intrigues me too i mean you, you mentioned just now going from atheism to a uh, a fixed belief system how did that change the way you write music well, um, I think that that gave me more of a, having a, more of a fixed belief system. What I mean by that is that I am absolutely convinced of my beliefs. Mm -hmm. Now, back when I was an atheist, I was not, I mean, I don't think anybody really, 
for someone to claim that I'm an atheist, it's almost like, well, do we really know enough to be an atheist? But I guess they could throw that back at me and say, well, do you really know enough to be a Christian? So um, I guess that argument is, is, will always be present. But um, I feel more I, I feel more freedom in how I go about writing um, because of my because of my beliefs. Um, I feel like I can. I'm much more confident in myself, knowing that I have something that I can lean on and, and uh, knowing that I'm not um, uh, trying to get through it on my own. Now, with, with songwriting being such a, uh, a personal yet empathetic endeavor, it's something that I engage with all the time myself as well. And, um, and I, th I don't think a lot of people outside of music realize just how much of an industry music town Nashville is. I mean, it really is a music town. There's a lot to navigate there. Could you speak maybe to the people in the audience who um, either write music or write poetry or, or just write in general and sometimes have felt uh, the sense of rejection that sometimes can come with creative work that you've really put your heart and soul into just coming back and not being received. Is that something you've felt that you've dealt with a lot, which I kind of know the answer to that if you're a songwriter. And, uh, but also how do you kind of handle that and keep going? Oh, wow. What a question. Um, how have I, so how have I dealt with that? That's what you're asking? Yeah. If you, it, is there a, a strategy or a, or a, a set of things that you've maybe found yourself doing over time to keep the consistency? You know, I think that, I mean, since I was in the, third grade when I recognized that I could actually write poetry and um, create a story. That was when I first rec my teacher recognized that and then she told my mom next. My mom's a school teacher so she told my mom and I realized oh I can actually do this thing. So it sort of opened up a whole this new world you know as an eight-year-old I guess what or eight in third grade. Um, and I've just always known it was what I was supposed to do. Um, and I think that I even denied that to myself. Um, uh, those first few years after I graduated, I was just like, that's just, that's not realistic. I, this isn't gonna, this isn't actually gonna take place. I think, because I think my dad was always, uh, was trying to um, get me to go back to school. Um, Cause he was like, well, you don't need to really take that too seriously. You know, you need to, you know, major in law or go do something like that. Um, and that I was never interested in that, even though I'd still like to learn more. Criminal psychology has always been fascinating to me, but um, so when I moved to Nashville, I was afraid because my family, they were all very much against that. They um, were afraid for me. I moved to Philadelphia for a short period um, and they were really against that. Um, I made lots of decisions in my life my parents weren't on board with. Um, but I'm so glad that I went ahead and followed through. Um, but anyway, arriving in Nashville, I had all I had were you know, I was I had like 20 songs, my guitar, and I didn't have any other connections. I just moved and um, and I started like. Uh, going to open mic nights and writers nights and um 
and I recognized that, wow, this is a, this is an extremely competitive city. Um, and I'm definitely not someone that walks in with like, just kind of the big hair and, um, let's see how, you know, bright red lipstick. And I just kind of had my own thing. Um, so I definitely didn't fit in there for the first, uh, couple years. Um, that was difficult, but, um, eventually I sort of, you know, found uh, a band. I found uh, some guys that wanted to play with me. I'm a, I'm a big Brian Eno fan. I like um, ambient, uh, like Peter Gabriel. I like a lot of that um, ambient sort of um, percussiony stuff. So I found some guys that wanted to play. We were play we started uh, booking shows, um, and yeah, definitely when I would send songs out to radio stations or publishers or looking for management or a label, I thought that was the, what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and I wouldn't get responses or there would be people that were like, I really like what you're doing, but I don't really know what you're doing. I don't understand what you're doing. So it was always just like, uh, you know, multiple responses. So I definitely know what, what that feels like to just not feel like I fit. Um, but I, but I've never doubted that I am capable. So if that answers your question, that's a long-winded answer. It definitely makes a lot of sense. I think there's, um, you know, it's, it's, we, we've talked about many times on the show too. It's, it's more about the long haul, right? It's about the long game. Um, very rarely, we have had a few exceptions on the show, but very rarely is it someone who does one book. That's it. Um, you know, some, there's a few people who did that, you know, they made it their, their big goal, but most of the time it's like the long haul. It's, it's, cumulatively over time the amount of work it's the whole path of being an artist or, or a creative person that really ends up making more sense overall and uh, I appreciate that I appreciate that uh, that answer because it really does kind of speak to that could you um, maybe one other question in that in somewhat of that vein one of the things I think for a lot of people who might be listening to this is they're looking at their art as something that they get to do you know when they're not when they're not on the job or whatever, right? Like they're used to going after it more as what feels like a hobby or an intuitively it's, it's their sacred art space. But when we're talking about something professionally, you still have to be able to channel that kind of intentionality and that creativity into something that is also then seen as a professional commodity or a product. Um, do you choose to ever acknowledge that part of the, the business product side of it, or do you stay firmly in the art part until you uh until you decide to put it out there oh wow i think that i know who i am as a musician and what i like and i'm comfortable finally <laughs> in a place where i'm comfortable with with who i am as an artist and it seems to be working um or at least working enough you know, to appease me. And I'm like, well, that, that's fine. Um, and I, and I don't, I don't care as much, um, how other people might feel about me if they say, well, maybe you should try this, or maybe you should, um, cut your hair short or do something, mm -hmm. do something else or wear shorter skirts or something like that. Um, when people have given me recommendations, um, just, I guess going about the sex appeal thing is such a huge, um, 
um, you know, people are trying to sell themselves in, in, in so many <laughs> different ways. And I think that what I am trying to do is I want to relate to people on a personal level, first and foremost. Of course, I pay attention to um, taking care of myself physically and hoping that, you know, they'll want to take a look at this person, this lady. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in like being interesting than um, um, being like this product of uh, what what's currently popular or because I feel like that it, there's just there's so much of that. Um, it's sickening. No, that's a big, big piece. The idea of wanting to be interesting rather than fitting into someone else's model. Yeah, right, right. Because I feel like that's much longer. That, that that's good. That's what lasts. That's what matters the most. Is is if you have some if, if you have something interesting to say, and if the song can relate to you, and you and you and it changes how you feel, maybe even about yourself. That's what I want to do for people, and I think that's the gift that God has given me. Um, that's how I feel about, how I feel about it. Um, but I think there's this huge pressure around, um, how we present ourselves, especially women. Um, we are so hard on ourselves. Um, well, I mean, like in general, the, the majority of women, um, and they feel like they have to do all of these things in order to stay this, uh, um, prize, uh, and it all has to do with, with how we're presented physically. And it, it just, it's not where you're going to find, um, it's not where you're going to find what's real. It's so much more than that. Um, so it's been, it's, it's been difficult. It's taken me a long time to get to a place where I'm like, I just want to, I just want to make good art. I just want to work hard. And if I can make a difference in the world before I pass on, then that's what I want to do. I think there's so much, there's, there's a lot to what you're saying. Um, and especially about, you know, having been in the industry too, I've seen at least secondhand, of course, I haven't experienced it, but like seeing how much that's put on women, in the, uh, in the creative world, especially at the music industry as well. And um, one of the things I realized just not long ago was I looked at like my top 10 favorite artists right now. And I realized like seven of them are women who've all bucked that trend, who've mm -hmm. all pushed that to the side and done their own thing. And I'm realizing, awesome. like, wow, like how cool is that? You know, and there's more and more every day that I'm coming across that have done that. It's yeah. so cool to see. And I, I applaud that, that perspective because we need artists. We don't need just more people in short skirts, <laughs> you know? Definitely. Now, it, getting, we, you know, getting away and obviously seeing the bifurcation between the product and the, the manufactured sound and what you do. I was telling Amade before we actually started this show that um, we always bet, obviously, the, the musicians or writers or poets that, that come on this show, but you were the first musician that has been on this show that I can, that I listen to and then I, I forget that I'm listening to it, that it's not a test anymore. And, and it's because of your songwriting and all the components that go into your creative process that fascinate me in this interview. 
how do you sit down and write songs? Like, you know, do you have a process that you sit down? Is there a mood you have to be in, a place you have to be in? Uh, well, you know, earlier, I usually have a class today, but that got canceled. Because um, I also teach Pilates, and so there's just been some changes with all that. But I sat down a few minutes ago and started just messing around on the guitar, and um, a new song sort of struck me. Um, and that was just random. Um, I don't really have a process Cliff, um, it's, it's really on like a, if it's a Saturday afternoon where I don't have a lot to think about, I can go and it my my mind is free and I can just sit down and, um, and I like, uh, tuning my guitar. I like having different tunings, um, where you just pull just a random melody from, from a hat essentially. <laughs> You've just mentioned Pilates and you've, the other things that you do. And, and, and there's been so many changes, obviously. And it's one of the topics we always try to hit on. It, how are you dealing with COVID? I mean, how has that changed your life? How are you, how are you getting by? Um, you know, I'm definitely not, my head is not in the sand. Um, I, I know what's going on. I am aware that this is a real thing. Um, I'm not in denial. I'm wearing a mask everywhere I go. I'm, I'm getting tested, you know, pretty regularly. Um, but I'm not letting it destroy me either. I'm sort of taking advantage of this time. And uh, I've definitely have had some low points. Uh, just staying home and, and not having the freedom to get out and go do what I want to do because that's just important. I like to have a schedule with my own, having my own things happening and um, classes to attend. I, I like to go meet friends for coffee and, and do things like that. So that, that's been, that's been difficult, but um, I'm, I'm getting adjusted to it. It hasn't been easy, but I really feel like even in the beginning, in the beginning, for me, I saw it as like, well, you know, we're all going to be home and, 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 those of us that have families, we need to just focus on them, focus on what's important. And like, just you're close to each other. You might as well just get in there and see, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. uh, like if you haven't been spending enough time with your son, then this is the time to go spend some time. Um, and if you and your spouse have had been having issues, you guys need to work it out right now because there's no better time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I thought about it like that. Um, uh -huh. And then if, if people aren't meant to be together, you need to just break up and maybe this is a great time to make that happen or it'll bring uh, unhappy uh, couples maybe closer together. Um, it just forces us to spend more time with kids and I don't know. I think just uh, stuff will come up to the surface. Um, so I think that COVID is, has been you know, I mean, even considering like politics that's, that's happening right now, it, you know, it's all going to hit the fan. It's all going to hit the fan very soon. Mm -hmm. so. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Now, we, again, being the, the business of music and poetry, we, I get, we, we have the chance. I mean, finding a manager, how did you, how did you do that? I mean, and as far as like, well, the bigger question is like some, some tips to those who don't have one 
when you're looking for one, how do they find one that's honest and kind of sidestep a lot of that pain that comes with people who aren't who they say they are? Oh, wow. I mean, I've been through like four managers. Um, and the first two, I had my first manager after the 2012 um, cuts with Allison Krauss. So that's when I had this manager sort of, well, I had two or three that were interested and then I went with one and um, I really felt like she was really looking out for my best interest. Um, but then I found out that really wasn't the case, but you know, when you're in the music industry, you have to sort of expect that. And I think as a, uh, I guess more of an emotionally driven person, artistic person, um, I have an expectation that like, well, of course you care. Of course you only want my best interest. Of course you do. But I had to accept that. Well, that you've just got to get a thicker skin too. Right. <laughs> so that was a tough lesson for me to learn, but I'm glad I learned it because I do have a tougher skin now because of that. I learned that, okay, yeah, we're playing, this is hardball here. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to grow up really, really fast. Um, so, uh, they, they, managers will come after you when they know that there's something to manage, um, and there's money to be made, which is understandable. We're all business people here. Mm -hmm. So, um, and my manager now is a friend that I've been friends with for a few years and, um, he's really believed in, he, he's a writer and he's believed in, in my music since I, since I first moved to Nashville. And um, he decided he wanted he wanted to give this a shot. So we've been working together for the past year, and it seems to be it seems to be a nice collaboration with him. So we'll see. It's a pretty laid back situation. But I think you're 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 in a way uh, you're in a kind of a position to be able to kind of shed some more light on some things for some other musicians who might be uh, listening. Which is if they're you know every musician when they're trying to push it is hoping to get a manager, right? That's what everybody thinks they need. They think they need a manager. They think they need a label. They think they need a booking agent. Right. Those three things, yeah. So um, for someone who has maybe been playing open mics and is starting to, to get a little bit of traction with people listening to them and, um, and maybe has had a few people mention wanting to manage them or whatever, what advice could you impart to them about what they should be looking for based on your experience? And do they need it? I mean, that's the other side. It's not necessary. But what they need to be focusing on is the craft, is the art itself. That is what I've learned. That is the first thing that I would tell anybody is to focus on what you do. Mm -hmm. but, th but that's just been my experience. Other people go into it, you know, with the business aspect. I am not a business-minded person, first and foremost. You know, I've had to learn the business side of things. Um, some people can just be like, yeah, I'm a pretty decent singer, but I'm much better with people and I can, I, I can persuade. Um, and so they have, <laughs> they can, um, you know, get what they want just by talking to somebody. But then it's like, okay, well, what's your music like then? Are you able to support all of your persuasion with actual legitimate art too? So that's a challenge for, for those people, I guess. 
Um, but I think if you really are truly dedicated to what you do and you believe in what you're doing, that is going to shine through. If it doesn't, then there's just something else that was meant for you. And you'll be much happier going about it in another direction anyway. Um, and I usually tell people when they want advice is you really can't have a plan B. This has got to be it. Um, plan B, if, if you have a plan B, like if I, like, I guess go uh, becoming a therapist would have been the other direct. I mean, I could always go back to school and, and, and become a therapist. Um, but, but it wasn't enough of a, of a plan B for me to go with that. You know what I mean? Um, if I lost my, if I lost my ability to sing or ability to, to write melodies, then maybe I would consider going back to school. So, yeah. So I think that's a, um, it's interesting to hear you say if you lost your ability to sing. Um, so my, my living is as a musician and as a singer. And at one point I actually did lose the ability to sing for, uh, for about eight months. And, uh, I was dumb and was in a martial arts class and someone hit me and it accidentally oh, no. throat and I fractured my larynx and, uh, it was, that was it. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't sing. I couldn't speak or make any notes more than what like, Cliff's laughing over there. I'm not <laughs> laughing. I'm not laughing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, I <laughs> That sucks. Please. No, 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 no. I'm not that mean. I'm leaving this uh, in. Anyway. I, wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. All right, go, 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 go. So, uh, you know, and I ended up having to go through all of that, all of those thoughts going, what if I can't sing anymore? And at least for me, and I, of course I can't speak for anybody else, but it eventually came back down to was no, screw this. I'm going to figure out how to sing again. And I ended up like retraining my voice. It's a totally different voice than I used to have. But wow. uh, I was singing again professionally in eight months, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but it's – so I, I guess I'm just saying, like, maybe you can't sing again. But having had that happen, the only answer was figure out how to sing again. Yeah. And so. I guess if it's in you, there's really there, – it's just going to um, show itself in one way or, or another. That's so. interesting. That's really, really interesting. I was very lucky compared to a lot of people. So let's be, let's yeah, be fair here. Sure. But um, so, so as far as, so I know, you know, COVID really changed everything with, with live shows. So, so many great musicians I know around the country, around the world are just sitting at home, twiddling their thumbs right now. Like one of them went and started a construction business. Like it's really, really random stuff. Uh, and I'm sure you're having, you're seeing a lot of that in Nashville there too. How do you, how do you see, you know, yourself as well as some of the musicians, you know, how do you see everybody weathering the storm right now? And then do you have any insight as to what you think it'll be like when things start to reopen? Um, yeah, it seems to me that people are still paranoid and they're staying home. I don't want to call them paranoid. They're just, they have safety precautions. That's what's happening. Um, and which I, I understand. Um, and there's a lot of musicians that there, there are, there are actually a considerable amount of musicians that have sort of gone back into addiction mode. Um, that's been unfortunate as well to watch friends of mine that have kind of, they, they don't, they're not touring. They don't have, um, a lot of the studios are still closed. So, so 
there are friends of mine that um, they've just sort of lost their way um, and they don't know what to do with themselves because they have dedicated so much of their lives to music. Um, so some people just don't really know what to do, what to do with themselves. And I completely understand that. Um, so there's that aspect. And then there's some, there's some people that are trying to use this time um, beneficially by writing more and, and, and they have online shows on Facebook and um, I mean, people are just doing the best they can to, to get by. Um, I don't know once everything starts opening up again, like I had to cancel, I had a full month, a month long tour, um, in the UK that was, that was supposed to take place this week. I would have been leaving <laughs> to go to London, um, in three days actually. And, uh, and I had, you know, that's, that's no longer happening, obviously. Um, so I'm hoping to reschedule that for next spring. You know, it's just, it's just up in the air. Nobody really knows what, what's going to happen and how we're going to handle it. And I think that as humans, we have a tendency to want to try to control everything around us. And, um, and it's like, you can do the best you can to control, but it's just, that's, you're just kind of fooling yourself. If you really think you're going to be able to pull that one off. Yeah. I mean, even you getting hit in the throat, you know what I mean? Like, wow, didn't see that one coming. So, you know, so this COVID is like, you know, it's just hit us all in the throat pretty hard. So. It, it kind of took away our illusions of control. You know, Absolutely. I think that's, that's really it. So thank you for that answer. Um, I think maybe the, the question we could, we could ask to kind of wrap this interview up. And by the way, thank you so much for spending this time with us and being open and being present. And it, it matters a lot. Yes. Um, for having me. Of course. Uh, so one thing that looking at the world right now, and of course, as creative people, we're always kind of looking at the world and, and responding in, in certain ways and trying to tell the stories of what's going on in the world as well. There's so much kind of anger and desperation and, and you know, a lot of craziness out there. And one of the things that occurred to me recently was that um, one of the ways that we're going to move past this and, and to raise the consciousness above this idea is to kind of imagine a brave new future that we're able to start building and moving towards, even if it's in our own little world or in our own lives. So do you have a vision for, you know, once COVID's cleared, once all this has started moving on, where do you see your project, your creativity going, or where would you like to, to see it go to um, in, the, in the future? What's the brave new future for you? Wow. Oh, man. Where do I want it to go? I don't know. I, I just want it to it's going to, it's going to continue, you know, this flow is not, there's no stopping it. So, and I'm so grateful to have like these music platforms like Apple and Spotify. And I'm glad that I can just continue to release music and I'll be able to uh, support myself from that, you know, like 
Cliff, if you continue to write books, you're, it's just going to keep happening and you can continue to release them and then people will hopefully buy them. And it's just, that's what's so amazing about it, isn't it? Um, so I don't know. I have no expectations, really. I really, that's been like a big thing that I've actually prayed about a lot is that I don't want that need to feel that there has to be an expectation really about anything. Um, because that all of that's an illusion. <laughs> uh, it's really... I just, I just hope that the music reaches people that need to hear it. If it's someone in a hospital room that's has not long to go, not long to live. Um, if it's a mother going through, uh, a, a single mother that's just feeling hopeless. I hope that she can get something from it or someone that suffers from depression. If they can get a lift from it or keep someone from, um ending their lives that's that's what i want to do if i can keep someone if, if a song helps someone that's really all that needs that's all i need you know but i i won't know i just hope that that's what can happen without i won't ever really know i guess I don't a, know. yeah I heard a I heard a phrase recently. What you just said reminds me of, which is that if you're trying to manufacture something yeah. in, in your life, that's because that's what you want. But real, the real meaningful work comes when you create with an open heart, and then you just say, "I'm trying to make something that God wants." Yeah. I don't even know how it's going to be used. I'm just putting right. it there. Right, and it's kind of like I don't know where this quote. I don't. I probably won't say it correctly but when like when you when you're in a river and you and you lift if you put your hands in the water and you're trying to bring water up it's it's just going to flow and you're trying to hold on to the water you can't do that you just have to let it flow through your hands and it's like when we try to hold on to things too tightly that's that you're just sort of wasting your time but if you can just let it flow you can experience all of it um so i think that's how i want to go about this music thing and not Oh, I hope that so and so, you know, I, I hope I get another record deal or I hope that, you know, I, I get nominated for a Grammy and then have like visual, what virtual Grammys. I don't care about virtual Grammys. You know, I it's just like, that's ridiculous. Um, but that would be cool. I would love that. But it's just not, it's so materialistic and you know, once you can come to terms with that, those things really just don't matter. And it, um, then I think you can really live happily and with a contentment that's uh, beyond our understanding, you know, so. Both Cliff and I want to say thank you for spending this time with us. We want to say thank you to Angel Snow for an emotionally open and riveting interview. You can find her at angelsnow.net and you can find her music on Spotify, on Apple Music, basically anywhere that you stream music. You can find Cliff Brooks at cliffbrooks.com. Also, southerncollectiveexperience.com. You can find me at michaelamide.com or worldpoetryopenmic.net.
The music for this episode was provided by the fantastic Justin Johnson. You can find him at justinjohnsonlive.com. The goal of this podcast is to give you ideas and tactics that you can apply to your own creative life. Until next time, remember to be courageous, do the hard work, conquer your obstacles creatively, learn to trust your heart, for it's easy to lose your path in this business of music and poetry. Thank you.